All right, well, welcome this morning. Welcome to church. Welcome here to New Life Church. If you are new here, my name is Jeremy Smith, the lead pastor of the church here. Honored to be able to serve amongst several other leaders who helped shepherd this church, and we are thankful for you being here. want to say hi to everyone online watching and participating today from a distance. Hopefully you can join us in person sometime very soon. Here at New Life Church, we're really all about making Jesus and keeping Jesus the center of our life, the center of our church, and the center of our community. It's what we aim to do with all the things we, we project and try to live out here at NLC. And just quickly before, um, before I forget, today's the, the final day that we're doing ministry appreciation, and we have a table at the back at the, uh, the sanctuary here that after service, if you could just stop by that table, you'll see different names um, placed there, and we have cards already available, and you can f- take a moment to fill one out just to acknowledge and say thank you and maybe a word of encouragement to the different ministry staff here at NLC, and uh, just drop that in. At, there are baskets already available for you to do that, if you would, before you leave today. That would mean so much to all of us and uh, to the different folks who serve here at NLC. Listen, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Joshua. We're going to be digging back into this series we're in called Living as the Joshua Generation. We're going to be in Joshua chapter... I'm going to read from Joshua 6, but we're going to actually focus on chapter 7 today is where we're going to be. And let's take a minute and read these opening verses. It's chapter 6, verse 18. And it will also, you can follow along on the screen behind me. It says, do not take, this is the instructions of the Lord to Joshua for the people. He says, do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Nothing like starting out a sermon with that kind of text, right? It says, everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Jump down to verse 24. It says, then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. It says, Jericho. And only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. And so Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Will you pray with me over today's word? God, thank you for what you have to say, and you so want us to hear it. You so want us to be changed by it. And help by your word. So today I pray your word will come alive to us. It would like kind of jump off the page and just be real in our lives, Lord, in a fresh new way. And I pray, Lord, that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be, would be a, a, an honor and a, and a glory to you and a help to your people today. May we all gain what we need to gain through your word today and by being together in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So just a quick recap. We've got 40 years had gone by of wandering in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. That generation passed away. Moses passed away. You've got a whole new generation of Israelites now up under the leadership of Joshua. And he was uh, just crossed over the River Jordan as they were headed into the Promised Land. The Jordan River is a place of significance that, has to, uh, that points to change and transition and a whole new beginning. And they had just crossed over the Jordan River. And um, as they crossed over, they set up these 12 memorial stones 
uh, one from each tribe representing God's people as a time to be able to look back and point to the next generation to tell them, hey, this is what God did. May you never forget that. And then they also keep on going, and they, they get to the town of Jericho, pretty big place, and it, the walls come down as a result of marching around and following the instructions that God gave them. And they are instructed because of what Rahab did. She helped... Uh, you know, saved the spy. She hid them from not getting caught. And as a result, the promise was, you're going to be saved, your family will be saved, and you can move on forward with us. And it says she, she actually continues to live there with them and ended up being in the genealogy and the lineage of Jesus Christ. And you can read about that in Matthew chapter 1, where she's listed in the genealogy of the Lord and of our Savior. And so, um, and then... And so they're, they're, they're in this place where they cross over, they, Jericho, the walls fall, and then God gives these, these instructions. And he tells them, hey, don't take anything from this particular place at this time. You need to put back the things that are made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, all that stuff, and that's going into the treasury of the Lord. And he gives them these instructions. And what we discover, what we will discover, and we're tracking on is throughout this story in the life of Joshua and his leadership and the people of Israel and this new generation is there's a whole lot of trusting and a whole lot of obeying God. Uh, and it, it, it really not much has changed uh, from then until now. We still trust the Lord. We are still called to obey him. We're still called to follow his ways. We're still called to walk according to his will. You know, we don't just get to do what we want to do. I mean, we can. We have that choice. But we find out that when we don't, certain things can take place in our life. And But when we do follow him, doesn't mean everything magically works out the way we plan. But what does guarantee is that God is always faithful to us. And he always has a way of turning things around in our life. So Joshua is setting this new generation up with... Uh, the law is still intact, the law is still in play, and, but there's something a little bit greater that I think is happening with Joshua and, and the people of Israel at this time. They're really starting to discern that, man, I think God really does love us. I think God really does want to do something new in our day and in our life and in our generation. And, and so they cross over, and then in chapter 7 is where, we, where we're going to pick up today is they encounter this, this nation called Ai, this town called Ai. And, um, and it's something to kind of keep in mind when you're looking at Old Testament battles with the enemies, is there, they, they can be viewed as a foreshadow of uh, New Testament spiritual warfare. All right? And so I want to set the ground for that. Follow with me. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4, Paul writes... We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Journey with me a little bit further into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, where Paul also he writes these words, Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, 
and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And then the rest of that talks about the the variety of the armor and all of its components. Look at second, or excuse me, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll get there in a second. I failed to mark it. Uh, actually, this is going to be in the Passion Translation. Paul writes it this way, verse 1. My dear fellow believers, you need to understand that all of our Jewish ancestors who walked through a wilderness long ago were under the glory cloud and passed through the waters on the sea of the sea on both sides. Verse 6. It says, now all these things served as types and pictures for us. Lessons. Everybody say lessons. Lessons that teach us not to fail in the same way by callously craving worthless things. Verse 11. It says, all the tests they endured on their way through the wilderness are a symbolic picture, an example that provides us with a warning so that we can learn through what they experienced. For we live in a time when the purpose of all the ages past is now completing its goal within us. So beware, if you think it could never happen to you, lest your pride becomes your downfall. So Old Testament battles with their enemies can be viewed as New Testament spiritual warfare and how we are called to conduct our spiritual faith in today. You know, faith life is not easy. Uh, It's just not easy, right? Faith life following Christ in this world is messy. There's, there, I know, I know here's the problem with that is depending on where you come from and how long you've been in this thing, you can be taught, put on a happy face and fake it till you make it. Right? The last time I checked, God's not interested in our facade. He's interested in our heart and what's really going on. Because the reality is none of us can really deal with anything in our life until we get honest with it, right? Until we just get flat out real about it. I walked in this morning or, uh, getting ready for church and someone asked me, Hey, how you doing? I said, not good. I said, for some reason I just woke up mad. Nothing happened. Family's all good. Didn't have an argument. Took my beautiful wife to the symphony last night. Someone gifted us tickets. Never been before. Amazing time. If you've never been, I don't know if that's your thing, but it's really remarkable. I thought it was going to last longer than it did, so I was kind of glad it got over a little earlier than I expected. But it was fun. So I have no issues. I'm all well. My kids are good. I just woke up irritated. Anybody else just wake up irritated sometime? Thanks for being real today in the house of God. Woo, thank you. I'm not alone. I am normal. (laughs) But it felt better after telling somebody how I felt. And it kind of put things into perspective a little bit for me. But that's just the thing about faith. It's not always simple. It's not always easy. There's there's never just one thing. And that's what we discover in this Joshua story. Is there's no magic formula. There's no pill. There's no blue pill or red pill or whatever pill to swallow. It's just the gospel pill. And I just got a feeling that the gospel pill 
seems to deal with all kinds of ills in our life. <laughs> A lot of lessons to be learned here. When I was about 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that, in that age range, it was wintertime and my, we were cozied up in the living room, my, my mom and my dad, and it was cold and they said, hey, won't you go turn, turn the thermostat up and make it a little bit warmer in the house? I said, sure. You know, and, um, and so I go to do it. It was one of those old school dials. You might have one still in your house. It's the round one where you turn it and it kind of makes a little click as you turn it. Well, I'd never done it before, and I was like, hey, what do you do? They said, just take the dial and turn it. You'll see a red little marker as you turn it and get it to about 70, whatever it was they wanted it on, 74, 5, 6, 7, 8, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, they gave me a number, and, I'm th- and I was turning it, and I'm thinking, well, that's not working. It wasn't turning. The, the dial was turning, but the marker was not turning. So I just turned it all the way. Well, we went to bed later that night, go to sleep. We're warmer than we wanted to be. And about halfway through the middle of the night, my folks are freaking out. They come barging in my room and wake me up. They said, the house is on fire. The house is on fire. Let's get out of here. I'm like, what? Oh, my God. What? And so we get out, and we go into the living room, and all the candles that were straight up before we went to bed were bent over like that. And they said, you're sweating to death. There's a fire in the house. And we, my dad was frantic looking all around, could not find a fire, and goes to the thermostat and sees that it was set on however high it would go, at least 90-something, at least. And he turned it back down and, and figured it out. We all finally eventually got cooled down and... and come to realize I was looking at the wrong gauge. I was looking at the actual one that kept the temperature and not the one that was regulating what would regulate what you wanted to set it to. And yeah, that was definitely a lesson learned that day. Never have forgotten that. Never have forgotten that. I don't think my parents did either because I don't remember being told to ever go back to changed the temperature on the thermostat. <laughs> Those candles were like, whew. they were gone. They were done. That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Go ahead and laugh. Go ahead and laugh. <laughs> you know, Israel, in their battle here with AI, what we're going to find out is it, it actually kind of served to become a blueprint for their future and ours based on what they learned. So the goal today, we're going we're gonna to begin looking at a few of these lessons that they learned. The title of today's message is simply Lessons Learned. Can you just say Lessons Learned? There's uh, 800 of them, okay? So, uh, no, I'm teasing. I'm only, I've got 10 that I know of, but I'm only going to cover just a few of them today, okay? And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read each and every verse that these apply to out of seven chapter 7, but I'll give them to you if you're taking notes and you can write them down. That way you will know where they fall. First lesson is found in verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1. This is where Achan took things from Jericho, where he was not supposed to do. Achan was part of the tribe of Judah. He concealed some things that he wasn't supposed to take, and he went and hid them in his tent in the ground and um, ended up being uh, bringing a reproach on Israel that they did not realize at that time. 
the first lesson learned is you don't play games with God. You just don't play games with God. And with each of these lessons learned, I'm going to, um, we're going to pick up a New Testament kind of a buffer, if you will. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Paul writes, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant, and those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You got to read verse 9 in context with the previous verses because the, what he's urging us on to admonishing about not giving up on is not just in general, but giving our life to the, to the Spirit of the Lord and investing into the, allowing His righteousness and His Spirit to produce in us whatever it is we allow Him to put inside of us. And so Paul writes that to say, listen, you cannot get anything over on the Lord. Though we may try, we can, never, we can never hide, we can never conceal, we can never trick God. God cannot be tricked with our antics. I know we can maybe try to trick ourselves. we can try to tell ourselves one thing, and by doing this, and talk ourselves into something, into justifying whatever it is, but at the end of the day, we can never, ever do that to the Lord. And so whatever we plant, we will also reap, all right? Whatever we put in is what we will return. And, and Paul's saying, look, don't get tired of doing what is good, and that is always allowing the, the kingdom of heaven and the righteousness of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the riches of his word to continue to be planted in your life. So to that, sow your life into that. That is what you can't give up on because if you don't give up doing that, sooner or later you're going to begin to see the harvest of righteousness come about in your life. Amen? That's why we, you know, we, we do a lots of different things with Scripture, try to remember it, try to memorize it, try to quote it, try to write it, try to say it, try to pray it, try to have it all in our life. Why? Because we're sowing that into us, and at just the right time in any given situation, what happens is you begin to see the harvest of righteousness and the kingdom of God bloom where it was planted. And so he says, don't stop doing that. And so the first lesson here with Israel, with under Joshua's leadership, is, hey, don't play games with God. Don't try to trick him. Don't try to do something that you think, man, if, if I can get my way here, God will later forgive me. Forgiveness will perhaps be there, but consequences of decisions still remain into effect. Amen? I know you don't, none of us want to hear these things, so um, I'm not preaching to anybody here, okay? Just, you guys are just an audience, so... The second lesson learned is, happens in verse 2 through 5, where Joshua actually sent spies into Ai, and they were telling him, hey, you know what? This town, this place, it's not that big. We don't need to send the full army in. Let's just say, let's just take two to 3,000 fighting soldiers. We'll annihilate them just like that. You know, it'd be over with, son. It'd be done. You know what I'm saying? And 
So that's what they did. They sent in two to 3,000 soldiers, and guess what happens? Uh, Israel is ran out of town, paralyzed with fear, and it says in verse 5 that their courage melted away. Now, remember, their reputation had preceded them. People in these new country, in this promised land, and all these different nations represented had heard of Israel, and they had heard of Joshua. They had already heard about Jericho. They had heard about all these things that were taking place. They heard about how the Jordan River was uh, parted, and they walked across on dry ground. They heard about all these things, and they recognized God was with them. And the second lesson to be learned is this. Don't underestimate the enemy. Don't underestimate the enemy. If you don't think the devil is not after your soul and after your kids and after this world, you are severely underestimating our enemy. Our enemy does not play fair. He plays to kill, steal, and to destroy. Not only do we not play games with God, but we don't play games with the enemy. We should not and cannot underestimate the enemy. Here's what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. If anybody knows something about the enemy, it's Peter, because he's the one who denied the Lord three times. And he said this in verse 8, Stay alert! Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. And remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Cannot underestimate the enemy. In fact, in Genesis 3.1, it writes that the, that the serpent representation of the enemy was more craftier than any other beast that God had made. The enemy is crafty. The enemy is a wicked schemer. I mean, if you can think of the most evil person in this whole world that you've ever heard of, the enemy is greater than that. Greater than that. He'll pull no punches. He'll, he'll sucker punch you just, I mean, just because... And Peter, understanding, I cannot let my guard down, writes this, stay alert, watch out for your enemy who roams around like a roaring lion looking for just somebody that he can pounce on, looking for someone who looks a little weak, someone who looks a little bit isolated, someone who looks like they're pulled away from from the fall just enough, just when they're not looking, just when they're not paying attention. And he'll pounce. We cannot play around with him. And I love how he writes, your brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, they're also going through some of the same kind of suffering that you are. And it's important that we remember that. It's important that we not forget that The American church is not the church. All right, the westernized church is not the church. We are part of the entire church at large on this world, on this planet. 
In fact, today marks the beginning for this month called International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And if you're interested in knowing what's going on around the world, particularly with our extremely persecuted, persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ, I would encourage you to go on to Voice of the Martyrs, VOM. Just Google it, VOM, Voice of the Martyrs. They have free subscription to their stuff, and you can get free magazine, free emails. All these things come to you, and they, they constantly are reminding us, do not forget to pray for the persecuted. And so I would encourage you throughout this month to take a moment, just think about a, about a minute, and begin to just think about your brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world who are facing extreme persecution, They don't have comfy chairs. They don't have a covering. I know we used to have a hole in the roof. We don't anymore, thank God. And you can pray that by this time next week, the heat is working. If you're a little chilly today, I would encourage you, you better pray. All right, because I know it's going to be cold next weekend and we need this heat. I would love to have heat, okay? I don't want to have to wear a big coat. I will wear it. I don't want to. I'd rather be comfortable, wouldn't you? Would you rather be comfortable? Yeah, I don't know anybody that just wakes up saying, Lord, I don't want to be comfortable today. Make me miserable. But remember, we're not the only ones in this fight. We are not the only ones. We are not the only ones. Number three. It happens in verses 6 through 12. Chapter 7, verse 6 through 12. Well, Joshua, after they were ran out of town from Ai, paralyzed with fear, courage melted away. As you can imagine, what do we do? He and his leaders, he calls a prayer meeting. He's like, what is up? There is no way we should have got our tails whooped like that. There is absolutely no way. What, what, what's on the scouting report? Kind of like Tennessee yesterday with Georgia. The scouting report was off. Tennessee came back paralyzed by fear, courage melted away, and I saw nobody taking down any field goal post yesterday anywhere. Bad day for Rocky Top. Scouting report was bad, Joshua thought. What'd you, got? you guys told me we didn't need but two to 3,000 people to go fight. What's up? So they began to pray. Lord, help us. This ain't right. You had us march around Jericho, doing the Jericho march, doing all the shout, don't talk, just wait, and then you tell us to shout, we shout, walls fall down. What's going on? AI should not be a big deal, right? This should not, this should not be kicking me. This should not be beating me. Anybody ever look at life like that sometimes? This issue, I should be over this by now. And they go to praying, and they're like, God, why did you let this happen? And God was kind, and he was gracious. He goes, Joshua, I didn't make this happen. He said, your own disobedience brought this on you. It's the third lesson is this. Don't blame God for your own disobedience. You know, the blame thing actually started in the garden. Adam and Eve, 
disobeyed God, fell into the trap of the enemy. They underestimated him. This won't be a big deal. One bite? Yeah, this, won't be, this will not kill me. No, you're right. You didn't die physically, but spiritually, everything began to fall apart. Boom, kicked out of the garden, not able to participate. God was looking for them one day. Where are you at? They were hidden. And he's like, did, did you eat from that? He goes, Adam was like, well, it was the woman you gave me, Lord. You know, it was your idea that I need a helper. Remember that? Put me to sleep. <laughs> Eve, what's up with that? She's like, well, you know, really, it was the serpent that did this. It was the devil's fault. It's blaming others, blaming God. It happens. It's part of life. It's what is, what is real. It's what happens in life. doesn't mean it's good, and it doesn't mean we should, because... We shouldn't. Look at what Romans 8 says. Romans 8, verse 31. This whole stretch from all of Romans is great, but man, you get me going at at about verse 26 through the end of this chapter. this, This whole text just fires me up. But verse 31, Paul says, hey... What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dare accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? The answer, no one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? The answer, no one... For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. You see, what we need to recognize is we can't blame God for our own disobedience because God's not against us. Everything God gives us and calls us to and how he calls us to live according to his word and to trust him and obey him, it's not for our harm, it's for our good. Right? Just like mom and dad teaching our kids this and that and the other. It's for their good. I know, teenager, that you don't believe that. I used to not believe that. But believe me, one day you will believe that. But God gives us these instructions, gives us his word to trust him at his word because it is good for us. God is not against us. God is not against you. If you continue to find yourself in cycles of defeat and discouragement, all I can ask and tell you is this. Humble yourself before the Lord. Ask Him to search your heart and truly make sure you have truly given yourself to Him. You surrender your whole life to Him. I mean everything, every single thing, all the known and the unknowns. Let Jesus truly take the will. Let Him have your life. Let Him be Lord. Let Him be guide. Let Him be guard. Let Him be God. Let Him be light. Let Him be love. Let Him be everything to you. And you'll see that He really is not against you, but He really is for you. So we can't blame him for our disobedience. We can only acknowledge our disobedience and come to God, which is where it brings up the next lesson learned. Verses 13 through 15 of chapter 7. So after they prayed 
the Lord told Joshua, hey, gather Israel, gather everybody together, lead them to a time of consecration. In other words, lead them to a place to be repentant before the Lord. One of my old Bible college teachers used to tell us, repentance is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle because it proves that we are sincere in wanting to change. Repentance is not just a one-time, one-off prayer that we pray to just receive Christ, but repentance becomes the lifestyle of the Christian believer, of the follower of Christ, of the disciple of Jesus. Repentance. I know it's not a, a popular word. It's not a word that's used, at least I haven't heard it in a while in some circles, but repentance is still what we are called to be and do. The fourth lesson learned is be quick to repent. May we be quick to repent. Romans 6, verse 1. Paul writes, Well then, should we just keep on sinning? So that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? His answer, of course not. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. The mark of baptism in our life shows that we were serious and sincere in our repentance. And so Joshua called everybody together to consecrate themselves to say, Hey, We need to get right before God. Something's not right. We should not be losing in this area. God is with us. God is for us. He is not against us. And we should not be losing in this. And so they cause all of Israel together to consecrate themselves, to set themselves apart, to reset themselves away from anything in this world that would try to lure their hearts away away from the Lord. And he basically leads them through a time of sincere repentance, which leads us to the lesson number five. It's where we'll stop today. It takes place in the rest of the chapter of chapter seven, where Achan and his entire family were held accountable by the law at a place called the Valley of Trouble. Gives a whole new meaning to, you're in trouble now. Maybe that's where that came from. I don't know. This lesson, number five, is this, is embrace accountability through God's grace. Embrace accountability through God's grace. Achan and his family were held accountable through the law and by the law, but in the New Testament, we're held accountable by the grace of God. I want to read you something in Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Paul writes again, well then, he likes to use those words, well then, 
since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? What do you think the answer is? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. The thing about God's grace is it's not cheap. It's not cheap. Had an old Bible college teacher, Dr. Grady Thomas, used to tell us in Bible college class, grace, students, grace. I would do it, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Never have forgotten that. That was a long time ago. That was in 1996. And Dr. Grady Thomas said, that's, God, that's grace. Grace, the grace of God is not cheap. It came and it is provided for the life of Christ at the expense of his sacrifice. And the thing about his grace is when we choose God, when we choose to be held accountable by His grace, what it does, it actually changes our heart and actually makes us want to obey Him more and more and more. It makes us to want to do the hard stuff of the Bible. Because there's no magic pill to just fix me and make me right. In the sense of my walking this out in life, it's called work out your salvation in fear and trembling. We, we become born again and we receive Christ Jesus. Then we're called to live and walk this out. And there's, not, there's, there's just no formula. There is just no thing to drink. There's, just, there's no Kool-Aid. stuff isn't real. You mean I have to forgive others? Yeah. You mean I gotta I gotta repent from my sin and my actions and my attitude? Yeah. If you want your life to change, you do. If you want people to stop thinking you're a butthole, yeah. You can see grace poured out in real life with Peter and in Paul's life. Peter denied the Lord three times. Jesus was kind enough to have breakfast waiting for him at the beach one day when Peter had said, I'm done. I can't do this thing anymore. beach. He's on his boat. Man, something came up in Peter. He just started swimming. Jumped out and started swimming. He got to the beach. He saw it was the Lord. And he had this little private conversation with the Lord. The Lord asked him, you love me, Peter? Three times. I don't know if he started getting irritated, but 
you would think maybe by the third time, maybe, Lord, you're hearing bad. I told you, yes, I love you. And then Peter was like, but you see this other guy, John, that's who was writing the story. John, the beloved, you see him. And Jesus was like, I see him, but I'm talking to you right now. Peter preaches the very first message in the New Testament in Acts 2. And you know how many people get saved, come to the knowledge of the Lord? 3,000. It's God's grace. Peter didn't deserve it. But man, God so believed in him. Jesus so believed in him. Don't deserve it. But God's grace says, I believe in you. I know what you can do. I know what you can do when you just give me your life. That's being held accountable to God's grace. God is not anxious and waiting to slap us. He so wants to embrace us and wants us to pick up what he's called us to. That's just a few of the beginning lessons the Lord will, and next week we'll, we'll get into the next part.